0: and welcome back to another episode of MC You Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey, and it's just me this week. Unfortunately, Jude is not feeling well, so we were not able to record together this weekend. Honestly, I'm going to take full responsibility on this one. I was so insistent last week that we would be back to our regular schedule this Monday, but unfortunately, that is not the case. However, I have spoken to Jude. He really enjoyed this recent episode of She-Hulk. So we're going to try and get his thoughts out there before the following episode. Uh, But if not, I imagine he will get a chance to talk about it on our next episode. So Jude, hoping by now when you're hearing this, you're feeling a lot better. But if not, we are all wishing you well. Now, before we get into the episode, I do want to say thank you for all those who showed up for our watch-along party last week. That was so much fun to get to watch the first two episodes together, and it is something that we are going to be continuing moving forward. So if you haven't joined the Discord yet, make sure you check the show notes and click on that link to join. Uh, Every Monday at 7 p.m. Central, we will be holding a watch party of the previous week's episode. Uh, Yeah. If you do go to the Discord, you'll see a section at the very top of the left-hand side of the server where it says Events. If you go there, there will be a localized time reminder for the events, so you don't have to do any of the time zone adjustments. It'll just alert you whenever it is time for the watch-along to begin. So we'd love for you to join us. Now, of course, if you downloaded this episode, you know we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 3 of She-Hulk, titled... The People versus Emil Blonsky. The way we're going to handle this, or I guess I should say the way I'm going to handle this, is I'm going to have some pre-spoiler thoughts where I'll be able to say what I thought of the episode without getting into spoilers, followed by an audio cue which will take us into the spoiler zone. Once we're there, we'll break down the episode into three most important topics, and it'll be fair game for all spoilers. So, before we get there, just to say plainly, I'm really enjoying She-Hulk. I think... The easiest takeaway from everything that this show is accomplishing so far is that it's just funny. And it's not funny in one sense where it's like, okay, of course, here's the meta bits here and there. There is a range of humor that this show is pulling off, whether it's visual, slapstick, or just meta. It is an enjoyable ride. And I think in its humor, it does a wonderful job of masking the short runtime. If you've been following this podcast for quite a while, then you know runtime is definitely something that Jude and I frequently bring up, Uh, a lot of times due to the fact that episodes will not feel as conclusive, but that feels like something that has changed in recent Disney Plus shows. We mentioned it with Miss Marvel, and again, I feel it here with She-Hulk. Any disappointment I have with an episode being over is not because it didn't feel satisfying, and more to do with, I just plainly want more of this show. To top all of that off, I think the pairing of its brilliant comedic chops and efficient runtime makes this recent episode of She-Hulk very enjoyable. So with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the spoiler zone where it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU except Thor Love and Thunder. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. The way we're going to handle this is we're going to break this down into three most important topics, which are as follows. The Gullible Romantic, Blonsky's hearing, and controlling the narrative. So, starting with the first one, Gullible Romantic seems like the best place to start in this episode because it is clearly the B-plot of the story. But the fact that they have centered so much of Dennis's problem here with the shape-shifting light elf from Asgard and the way that he is falling for their trickery is incredibly funny, because we've seen Dennis spend so much of his previous runtime being just incredibly off-putting, chauvinistic, and arrogant. To have to have him deal with his case hinging on the fact whether or not people believe he's just stupid is cathartic. So, I want to zone in specifically on Runa having shapeshifting powers, because I think it has important implications on where the MCU wants to go. Jude and I talked a lot whenever She Hulk Attorney at Law was announced that it was going to be very interesting seeing a superhero potentially representing other superpowered individuals. But I'm glad the very first prominent case that we see is not actually Jen representing another superpowered individual, it is an ordinary citizen. Pugliese, representing Dennis and his interaction with a superhero individual. I think this show, despite its comedic flares, is definitely setting the groundwork for a lot of accountability from the superhero sides of this universe. We can get more into that specifically once we get to Jen, Abomination, and Wong, but it is very interesting to me that It feels kind of like the Sokovia Accords round two, but maybe with a little bit more of a run up to it. Of course, in Captain America Civil War, we see the Avengers are held accountable for what they have done in Sokovia and New York and Lagos, but it felt like it was something that was dropped on them pretty quickly. If we are going to get to this point where we have Department of Damage Control or this anti-superhero sentiment, this small groundwork that they're doing is going to go a long way despite its humorous inception here. Now, speaking of Pugliese, otherwise known as Pug, I've got to offer retraction. Last week, I did mention that he made me slightly uncomfortable and that I couldn't quite get a good read on him. After this week's episode, I really do enjoy him. He does seem to come across as a very sincere person, if not a bit unique. In his line delivery, I guess that might be the best way to put it, but he's he's very sweet and trying to do the best he can, and I think the moment that sold me, and was probably the moment that got the hardest laugh out of me this entire episode, is after the moment where he discovers that Runa is impersonating Dennis after Dennis says goodbye... He calls security and Runa leaves, still in the form of Pug. And of course, she throws out the like, hey, that's my thing. I love harassing women and then walks away. And Pug, the way he sounds so defeated with, that's not true. You know me. I don't know what it was, but it was the the innocence in his voice that just, I'm on on Team Pug now. That's the moment where he specifically won me over. Pug is fantastic. You know, sticking with Pug here, there was one of my favorite visual Easter egg jokes that this episode threw in once Pug and Dennis were done with their discussions, but before Runa comes in as Dennis, where... Pug is browsing through YouTube-like videos, and you can see on the right-hand side of the screen there are some thumbnails for potential videos to click. One of them, which is just a straight-up joke, is Pony Imposter thinks it's a stallion, which is funny given the nature of this episode, and Dennis thinking that he has secured dates with Megan the stallion. But the other one that got me laughing so hard, specifically given this podcast's history and love for Iron Man 3, is a video titled... Iron Man 3's Honest Review. Now, I know we are staunch defenders of the third Iron Man entry, but I have recognized it is not everybody's favorite movie. So the fact that they style with the Iron Man 3's Honest Review as kind of a clickbait way to get people to click on the video is very funny, especially because I believe it is a review of a shoe. I'm spending way too long talking about that. So we can move on ahead. The... Other aspect that I loved about this gullible romantic section of the episode is I think it is among the most time that we have spent in a courtroom in a traditional sense. We do see Jin is in the parole hearing, but that is at the Super Max prison that Abomination's at. So I do love that we get a bit of flair for how they're going to handle the serious nature of the law in the context of a fantastical superhero show. And I think one of the jokes that sets that line perfectly is whenever Runa goes to give her defense for being a diplomat or invoking diplomatic immunity for Asgard is when she starts quoting the inspirational Asgard's not a place, it's a people speech. And the judge is like, Thor's inspirational speeches are not admissible in court. I thought that was fun uh, and a great way to put a quick end to Runa, who I can't tell what's funnier about her. The insistence on using the mimic trick or the fact that she thinks it's going to work. The giddiness at which the actor portraying the judge kind of like saunters back to his seat to say, you know what, I changed my mind is really funny. Great job of depicting the differences of when someone is being impersonated and when someone's being their true self. Uh, Overall, really enjoyed what they were doing on that aspect. So, going into this week, I had heard Megan the Stallion was going to be making a cameo appearance, but I had no idea that it would be this episode in particular. And after seeing this episode, I think it was pitch perfect in the use. It wasn't too distracting having Megan the Stallion appear, and they used it perfectly both throughout the episode as they seed her appearance, and again at the end with the end tag where we see Jen and Megan the Stallion dancing. I gotta be completely honest though. I accidentally spoiled the end tag for myself before I had gotten a chance to see the episode on Thursday, and when I saw that gif out of context, there was a part of me that was like, oh no. I immediately rushed to leech and messaged to see if this was a thumbs up or thumbs down episode, but now having seen the entirety of the episode in context, it really is such a fun and funny moment that they ended this episode with. Uh, specifically, the way Jen gets caught up in the moment and is like Megan the stallion, I will kill for you, and Megan's like dial it back. Yeah, just wanted to highlight that because I thought that was a great use of cameos. So we're getting ready to move into the next most important topic, but before we get there, I can transition with this: the fact that they end up having to use Jen as the testimonial that will clear the let's say, intelligence of Dennis and whether or not he could fall for this scam that Rune has pulled was really funny. And it set up one of my favorite meta bits they've done so far, where the cameras focused on Nikki and Pug as they are lamenting having to have interacted with Dennis as a person. And Jen just leans in from off camera and goes, oh, connecting the A and B story. Nice. That's comedically is speaking my language almost literally. Like, that is the sense of humor that I love, and this show is flexing it at all fronts. So let's go ahead and move into this next most important topic, which is very much centered around Jin as she is defending Blonsky. So in this Blonsky's hearing section, that will detail all the sections in which we see Wong interacting and trying to come to the defense of Blonsky, learning all that we've learned with Blonsky and his ability to control his abomination power as well as his seven soulmates, and of course, Jin as she gets to display her prowess as a lawyer. Now, on that last note, Jen is a really great lawyer. Despite the lateness of a person with zero commute time, Jen demonstrates a lot of great ability to think on her feet while stalling. Uh, After a failed attempt of trying to get Blonsky to defend himself for a bit, she then proceeds to call on a bunch of different characters to give their own testimonial. Now, I gotta say, I don't know if this is because I've just recently finished up the series finale of Better Call Saul, but there's something about this case that feels fishy. And it is the contrast of Jin being good at her work and being the protagonist that we are rooting for and knowing that they are operating from a place of truth, and the almost theatrical nature of the case itself. Having the seven soulmates be there present in their almost angelic costume getup feels like they're trying to play to the parole board. Uh, it also feels like Blonsky's defense is rehearsed in a way that you know he kept listing out the ways he's changed with spiritually, mentally, metaphysically, physically, and so on. It doesn't feel super sincere, despite the fact that he's literally fighting for his freedom and Wong himself. His statement, despite being an orchestration of Jen's work, feels like it's something that is also staged. So I don't know if this is setting us up for something where everyone involved might have different agendas and aren't being entirely truthful. Um, You know, I know last week I mentioned that it felt like Blonsky was being coached, uh, to which Jude said potentially Val was the one coaching him. Whatever the case may be, there's definitely some tension here, and despite everyone getting what they want with the release of Blonsky, it feels, like I said, fishy to me. So, just something to keep tabs on. Uh, No guarantee that this will go anywhere in particular, but I don't think this episode's quite done with Abomination. Almost in a Chekhov guns-esque sort of way, I don't think you set up an episode where the condition of Blonsky's release is that he never turns into the Abomination again without. Sometime later down the road, we see Blonsky turning into the Abomination again. So we'll keep tabs on that as we go forward. The other interesting bit with Wong making his debut in this series is, despite this being a defense of Blonsky, I found it very funny this show is also holding the accountability of Wong himself. Now, Wong has quickly become a fan favorite here in Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. but. It was very telling that when the parole board was like, you know what, Wong, you just admitted to a crime. Wong is immediately like, you know what? I gotta go. And he portals out of there. Again, it's played for humor now, but that paired with the way this episode seems to really be laying the groundwork for the accountability of superheroes, uh, like with the shapeshifter tricking Dennis into spending $175,000 on her. It's, it's, it's interesting. So on the lighter side of things, I do like the reference we get to the same memory spell that was used in Spider-Man No Way Home, both in the narrative of that movie itself, but the one that they reference whenever they talk about the full moon party when Doctor Strange is trying to justify his usage of the spell for Peter Parker. It's depending on where I know there's some confusion on where this show is timeline wise, But depending on what the case may be, the fact that Wong here is very adamant about the spell being messy, despite what we've seen in Spider-Man No Way Home, is a great gag, as well as Wong thinking that he could just come in with a quick speech and be like, you know what? This was my fault. Abomination had nothing to do with this. I recommend that he not be held accountable for what I did, and then tries to walk away before Jen's like, no, you're not answering to me. I the way you can help us if you testify. <laughs> that uh, that aspect was really well done. And the other, the only other thing that I think I would add to that is we of course saw Wong and Abomination fighting in Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. There There's a lot of questions about what it is they were doing and why they were holding that match and. At first, I think I remember, at least in my recollection, that they were staging matches to win money, but we get the definitive answer here in She-Hulk that they were actually doing it as a part of Wong's training to become the Sorcerer Supreme. Wong details the reason he was fighting Abomination in Shang-Chi was because of something called a Kumute. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh... I looked it up and the definition is Kumite is one of the three main sections of karate training, along with Kanta in Kihan. Kumite is the part of karate in which a person trains against an adversary. So Wong, for whatever reason, selects Abomination to complete his training for the Sorcerer Supreme, which is interesting. I wonder what it is about Abomination that Wong selected him as a Kumite partner uh, or how he would even be aware of Abomination in general. This could be things that we see explored further on in this season, or maybe potentially something we come across again down the road. Either way, I do love the world-building that it gives not only to Abomination, but Wong, who we know as of Spider-Man No Way Home is the Sorcerer Supreme. The only other thing that I think I would add to this section, which bridges this one and the previous one, is after Jin gives her testimonial in the Dennis case, Dennis says something about removing the superheroes or the super enhanced people's powers away from them, which sparks an idea for Jin. We've already seen the inhibitors be a plot point in episode one with Hulk. Uh, I'm a little worried. I think, of course, Jin has the best of intentions with the idea of removing the superhero powers. But if the X-Men movies are anything to go with, we know once those powers come into the hands of governing bodies, it quickly becomes a very dangerous thing for superpowered individuals. We know Jin has no interest in these superpowers whatsoever, but I'm hoping that this isn't leading towards a very dark path, or at least one I'm sure they're setting her up to come back from. Uh, And it's also unclear to me whether or not the condition of Abomination's Release uh, where he is free so long as he never turns into abomination again is because of something Jen did or coincidence. Because whenever she says, hey, keep that between you and me after Dennis sparks an idea, we cut away to the board giving their verdict. So whether or not Jen planted that idea, I'm not entirely sure. Either way, it's something worth keeping an eye out for. All right, these are a lot shorter when it's just me, but we're going to go ahead and move into the last most important topic, which is controlling the narrative. Now, this is a very nice structure that the episode has based itself around on, specifically because we open up with a bunch of different media outlets covering this public perception of She-Hulk as a superhero and a lawyer. Now, I talked about this show being comedically smart, and I think it is displayed here in the way that this show is, unfortunately, because the internet's gonna internet, able to predict the ways in which people would call out this show. You spent any time online within the last few weeks. you know that has been unfortunately the case here with the show itself, and I like that the episode's able to predict that and make fun of it. You see a lot of classic bad faith arguments of like, "Oh man, I don't mind if they make a woman superhero, but why do they got to copy the other heroes?" or, you know, they took the man the hulks manliness away, and now we're left with this entirely gross statements you see like this online, but they become the butt of the joke here in this episode. So I'm glad that the show is able to poke fun at it. And honestly, the way the media is depicted in this reminds me a lot of Parks and Recreation. Uh, Leslie Knope was a character that frequently ran into different news and media personas, uh, and the glib nature that they had with them is very reminiscent of what they're doing here. Specifically, Whenever Jin is frequently walking in and out of the prison, they'll have reporters trying to question her about this or that, and it will be like, hey, is it true that you were rejected by the Avengers? And after no comment, they're like, all right, this just in, rumors are being circulated that Jin was rejected by the Avengers. A lot of self-fulfilling prophecies by the media itself, which is a fun take. If I were to label a specific disappointment of this episode, I will say it does come in the final depiction of the interview. This episode frequently has Nikki advising Jen that she could take control of the narrative if she just gave an interview and gave her side of the story. It starts at the beginning, it starts again in the middle when they're at the bar legalese, and once more, once Blonsky himself delivers the same advice that Nikki's been giving. And I like this, because everything has been about the way people expect Jen to act, and this would be a way for her to take it on her own terms. So, all this builds to a wonderful moment where she does give that first interview, but it falls flat for me once the interview itself becomes a joke. Now, I don't think the media has to be completely persuaded after this one interview, but the fact that the interview ends with the anchor not listening whatsoever and saying, All right, when we come back, we're going to get the diet and exercise tips from the She Hulk. It just, it, it dilutes the point of the, the structure, I think. So I would have liked to have seen a more effective interview that showed Jen's perspective of being in control of the message rather than the news anchor playing it off as a joke. It's a small quibble. It's not something I hold against the episode, but when the narrative structure is built, al- built upon this choice that Jen has to make, I wish it wouldn't have ended on that note. Speaking of endings, this episode does end where we see a group of attackers try to get a blood sample from She-Hulk. The fight itself wasn't anything too particularly exciting, but the thing that stood out to me the most, and I'm totally willing to admit if this is a curtains are just blue type of scenario, but the first time I watched it, I was interested by the choice to linger on Jin looking at herself in the mirror of the car as She-Hulk. Upon my second viewing, it finally clicked that because of the tint of the window, I should say, not the mirror, because of the tint, it de-emphasizes the green aspect of She-Hulk. And I think it's symbolizing Jin seeing herself more naturally than she would if it was just a straight up green or a brilliant green version of herself, and I wonder if it's marking a shift of her being more at ease with the She-Hulk form. We've already seen that she had a very successful case in defending Blonsky, she was able to defend herself against the attackers, this might be signaling the moment that she is coming to terms with this newfound life. Again, taking control of her own narrative. Now... There is also an ominous feeling in the way that it lingers on that moment for so long. So I don't think we're in store for smooth sailing exactly. But I do think we're seeing a shift in the story circle of the overall arc. So, yeah, I think that's going to do it. I'm keeping it quick. It's just me this week. Uh, At some point, we'll be able to get back with Jude and discuss more details. Uh, But I'm going to leave it there and move into my final thoughts. Now, normally this is a section to either make a prediction, highlight things to consider moving forward, or share any stray thoughts. (sighs) I think I'm going to go with the prediction. I think next week we are going to see a lot more indulgent Jin of the superhero aspect. Not lamenting the powers as much as she has been in these previous episodes. And so I think it's going to be a very different tone. Uh, so that that's the prediction that I'm going to stick with this week. So if you enjoyed this episode at MCU you need to know both on Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us. The best place, though, is to join the discord. It is a wonderful community of people who are just as excited about the MCU as we are, as well as being a place to hang out and get to know each other. Uh, we have monthly game nights, the watch along parties we talked about at the top of the show. Uh, and it is a very fun community. So if you'd like to join, make sure you go to the show notes and click that link to join the Discord. We'd love to get to know you. Now, if you do enjoy this particular podcast, make sure you're leaving us a rating and review, specifically if you are on Spotify. Spotify has recently implemented a star rating, which will help towards our discoverability. One of the best ways to help us, the other way being sharing this episode with a friend. If you know somebody who is excited about the MCU, can't get enough of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, share the show and let them be as excited as we are. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Hello? No, I, uh, I'm i just recording the podcast. No no you're fine I, I was at the end anyway i'm I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do for an intag oh uh that's uh that's a bit what we do at the end of the episode where if we had like a mess up or if we had something funny happen uh it's just kind of like a little fun Easter tag Easter egg kind of thing similar to what Marvel does yeah and no I don't know what I'm gonna do this week it's just me uh Jude wasn't feeling well Wait uh what Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I I think it's just as funny, too. Like, they would have no way of knowing if this is an actual conversation or if I'm just holding, like, an imaginary phone to my head. Yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, let me me go ahead and get back to it, and I'll call you. Uh, I'm going to finish the episode. All right, bye.